we can begin our service by singing from Psalm 80 and the Scottish Psalter verses 1 to 5 Here is your shepherd like a flock thou that is Joseph guide shine forth O thou that dost between the cherubims abide we'll sing verses 1 to 5 Shall we pray? <clears throat> Lord, we give you thanks that we can draw near to you, the living God. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that we come to one who is fully familiar with each of us, uh, who knows uh, our thoughts and everything else. And you're the one who tells us in our times of trouble uh, to see that we call on you. 
We thank you, Lord, therefore, for the access your people always have uh, direct into your presence and how uh, your ear is always uh, open to their cry. There are no doubt many things in uh, life that uh, are burdens to us and uh, we thank you that um, you have revealed yourself as the burden bearer. Uh, you have told us to cast our burdens on you. Uh, a very uh, graphic picture, but um, the reality is that sometimes uh, we need divine strength uh, to cast the burdens. And uh, we pray, Lord, that we would um, be aware that you can provide that. So, Lord, we come to you this evening service, uh, thanking you that we can meet together and uh, think about your word and about the various things in it, all the uh, descriptions that have been given by yourself, about yourself, and all of them designed to help us understand something of who you are. Uh, if you hadn't told us who you are, we would never find out. Uh, but we thank you, Lord, that in you do come and uh, speak to us about yourself and assuring us that, as you say, often in you is our help. We are obviously coming towards the end of a year, uh, a year in which um, there are many things to look back on and things uh, perplexing and hard to understand. But we realize that you are God, uh, the Sovereign Lord, and therefore we pray that as we come to this juncture in our lives and in the congregational life that we would not lose our confidence in you but that we would realize that even as the psalm we've been singing uh, times can get very hard uh, for your people and, and even as the psalm indicated uh, they were uh, conscious uh, in uh, your providence uh, you had given uh, hard things to go through and indeed as the psalmist put it his bread had become tears so Lord we uh, pray that you would uh, help us in our uh, circumstances at the moment so we pray that you would remember everyone connected to the congregation that you would just help each of them according to wherever each of them is at this present time and that all of them would uh, feel the touch of your hand. We pray that your word would speak to us and that we would be uh, it would come to our, for us a lamp to our feet a light to our path. So be with us in our service we pray remember anyone who needs you in particular ways that you would provide that. So bless us while we're here, we ask, and pardon us, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. And we can sing again, this time Psalm 23 from the Scottish Psalter. 
The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want, he makes me down to lie, in pastures green he leadeth me, the quiet waters by. We can sing the whole psalm.
We can turn to the Old Testament and look at Psalms and just read Psalm 23 uh, as it's found there in the Old Testament. A Psalm of David. (coughs) The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, God bless that reading. We'll sing again this time from Psalm 28 and sing Psalms, verses 6 to 9. Praise the Lord, for he has heard the plea for mercy which I made. He is my strength, he is my shield. I trust in him who sends me aid. Verses 6 to 
psalm we read there, Psalm 23, and uh, we can read again verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then this psalm, uh, as, as we all know, is a very familiar one. It gets sung in all kinds of places. Um, baptisms, funerals, weddings, uh, all kinds of gatherings. And this psalm is sung. And indeed I think at one time... It uh, was almost the equivalent of the Scottish National Anthem um, before um, Scotland the Brave took over. So uh, the, the psalm was um, uh, once uh, very well known. Having said that, um, we don't know when David actually wrote it. Um, David, as we know, was a a shepherd as a teenager and the, um, don't know what imagery comes into your mind when we think of Psalm 23 but um, I think in a lot of people's minds uh, the imagery that appears is that of uh, uh, David as a young um, teenager um, looking after sheep and somehow at that particular time thinking that God would be his shepherd and of course maybe he did and just just not told it is possible he could have uh, written this psalm at any stage in his life and for all we know it could have been the last psalm that he composed uh, so it's unknown but uh, uh, the one thing that's um, uh, obvious about the psalm is that it's very suitable <coughs> suitable for uh, all age groups and uh, suitable for all uh, levels in society and suitable for all circumstances in which a person may find themselves uh, as long as they um, are trusting in the Lord then he will be their shepherd whatever it is uh, that comes along in God's uh, providence uh, I'm, <coughs> I'm due to be here for the next uh, uh, four or five Sundays just because this time of year is difficult to get supply so I, I thought it would be um, uh, useful perhaps just to think of this psalm on um, on Sunday evenings and just see what it uh, tells us uh, about uh, the Christian life so I want us to look at uh, verse 1 tonight because uh, one reason for that is that actually the heading of the psalm is verse 1 I mean the heading of the psalm is not the bit ahead of that which says it was a psalm of David I mean, the, the heading is uh, verse 1. And um, what's in verse 1? Well, there's a, what we could call a, 
proposition and there's a deduction uh, the proposition the Lord is my shepherd and the deduction that he makes from that uh, or David makes from that is I shall not want and then in the rest of the psalm he has a couple of illustrations about circumstances in which he will not want or lack anything in verses 2 and 3 he has he won't lack anything in good circumstances and then verses 4 and 5 uh, he won't lack anything in negative circumstances and then in verse 6 he just gives a general conclusion that um, throughout his life whether he is um, writing this as a young teenager or as an old man uh, throughout it all goodness and mercy will follow him and, and I'm sure we were meant to think of verse 6 and uh, think of the life of David because wherever he, wherever he went in life he goodness and mercy followed him and at the outcome, the end of his life, he went to dwell in the house of the Lord. So I want to look at these things in the next couple of weeks, but if we're spared. But and tonight, just at this uh, heading of the psalm, the deduction and the, sorry, the proposition and the deduction that he makes. It's more actually about the proposition I want us to think about because that's I think the foundation that we need to have to understand uh, the rest of the psalm just as I've just hinted uh, verses 2 to 5 well they're examples of how David's confidence that he would never lack anything would be met so I want us to think about this statement the Lord is my shepherd what would David have meant by that? I mean, I, I think there are three ways of looking at this um, statement. Uh, and I think there are ways that we should look at every psalm. And the, the three ways are, well, what did the author think when he wrote it? And in the time in which he lived, how would it be applied? And the second way of looking at it is, what does it mean for a Christian? Because uh, we live in a, in a um, obviously in a period of time in which we know more about God than David did. And therefore we have to not only just think of the psalm the way David thought of it, but we're to build on it and just see how the the New Testament helps us understand this psalm uh, and uh, a third way of looking at it and I think it's a very important way of looking at the psalms and that is how would Jesus have sung it because Jesus sang the psalms and uh, while Psalm 23 itself doesn't, doesn't have any confession of sin and therefore it would be um, um, quite easy to apply this psalm to Jesus 
prison. The word for mercy, those mercies mentioned there in verse 6, mercy is not always connected to sin. I mean, mercy is just God's covenant dealings with his people. And uh, so it's quite um, straightforward in a sense to apply this psalm to Jesus. And he was certainly a singer. There's no doubt about that. Even as he would have sung the other psalms. But I think that's always a, a very good way to approach the psalms. How would Jesus have sung this, uh, a psalm? I mean, sometimes when he sang a psalm, he would know it applied to him. Like Psalm 22. Psalm 22 doesn't apply to anybody else but Jesus. And when he sang that, he would know this is light to my feet and a guide to my path. And even when he was on the cross, I mean, that's why he referred to Psalm 22. He's in the he's in the place of darkness, and he needs help to get through the circumstances that he's in. And Psalm 22, written long before the cross, but describes the experience of the cross and the path of the cross for the Savior. So it's. A good question to ask whenever we come to a psalm, how would Jesus have sung them? So the proposition, the Lord. Well, as I'm sure we know, there's two ways in the Old Testament by which uh, the word Lord is um, used. And that's two ways are used because it's two different words that are being used and they're translated as Lord. There's uh, one here, Lord in capitals, all the way through. Well, that's a reference to Yahweh, or Jehovah. As I'm sure we know, the reason why there is a difference of knowing whether it should be Yahweh or Jehovah is because uh, the Hebrew words don't have any vowels. And, and we have to provide them. And the, this uh, name of God, well, O-R-D in capitals, well, at some stage in their history, the, the Jews stopped pronouncing it. And because they stopped pronouncing it, it means that no one knows how it actually sounded. And therefore we have to provide vowels to make it possible for us to say what it says. So that's why you get some people suggesting it should be Yahweh and others more in the older than more distant past uh, they suggest it should be Jehovah. But in both, in both these um, possibilities uh, vowels are provided by us. Well, by, by scholars. So we can say what the word is. The Lord. So whenever the word appears in capitals, it is Jehovah or Yahweh is my shepherd. When it appears with just the first letter as a capital, it's the word Adonai. 
And the word Adonai just means mighty God, prince, ruler, powerful. But it's, it's very helpful to notice that distinction. For example, in Psalm 110 and verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord. Well, if both these words for Lord are used in that statement, it's Yahweh said to my Adonai. So, whatever Yahweh means, Yahweh, we'll think about that in a minute. Yahweh said to my Adonai. Yahweh said. And remember, Psalm 110 is spoken by Jesus. Sorry, by David, but about Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord. And there in Psalm 110, verse 1, David calls Jesus Adonai. The Lord said to my Lord. And of course, Jesus brings that verse up when he's speaking to the Pharisees and says to them, who is God speaking about? Who is David speaking about? So it's important to notice these divine names and they're, they're scattered all throughout uh, the, the Bible. But when David says here, Jehovah or Yahweh is my shepherd, well, who is, what is meant by Yahweh? Where does it first appear? When is it first mentioned? I remember shortly after I was converted, I don't know if this is tr true or not, but somebody said to me, it's very important to notice where something in the Bible is first mentioned. So I don't know if that's true on every single occasion or not, but I'm sure it's true in, in some ways. And where is this name first um, stated with its meaning? And the answer to that is in Exodus chapter 6. Because in Exodus chapter 6, as we know, God had appeared to Moses and told him to... Um, Go down to Egypt and deliver his um, Israel. And that was an impossible thing, in a sense, for him to do. It would be like saying to someone today to go to uh, Russia or China and get people out of it. Because uh, Pharaoh was the most powerful person in the world. And... and he just didn't wander into his presence and say to him, could you let two million people go, please? And Moses knew that. And, and therefore he, he needed some divine encouragement. And the divine encouragement that God gave to him is described there in chapter 6 of Exodus and verse 2, where God says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, that's Lord with capitals, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. And that's El Shaddai in, in other ways. But by my name, the Lord, in capitals, I did not make myself known to them. So the 
Well, while the name itself, the word itself, L-O-R-D in capitals, is used in Genesis, the only reason it is used in Genesis is because by that time, Moses had been told that the God he was serving is the man, is the one, sorry, with a special name, Yahweh. But what does Yahweh mean? What does it mean to say Yahweh is my shepherd? Well, the word Yahweh is I will be who I will be. It's a reminder that God is the eternal God. He's a God of no beginning. He's a God who is just always there. The God who is unchangeable. The God who is consistent. The God who was with Moses. The God who did incredible activities with Moses and through Moses and for Moses. The God who took two million slaves out of Egypt and liberated them. He's my shepherd. He's more than that. Of course, he's a covenant God. He's a God who has uh, made um, specific promises. And he had made them to Abraham. And he says here in Exodus chapter 6, I have remembered my covenant. That's why I am here, basically speaking to you, Moses. So you therefore go to them and say, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So he's the God of the covenant. You know, and God has sent to Abraham your descendants will be in Egypt for 400 years. That was a specific statement. They were going to be there for 400 years. And after that they would come out. Well God kept his statement about that. And the 400 years are almost up. And therefore the covenant God comes to do what he had promised. But there's more to Yahweh than being the eternal God and being the God of the covenant. He's also the God who is listening. Because he points out to Moses that I have heard the groanings of my people in Egypt. And that's a very sweeping statement. It's not so much I have heard the combined groanings of all my people in Egypt which no doubt is true but the point that has been stressed is he's heard heard all the individual groanings of all his people in Egypt and he's heard all the times that each individual has been groaning under that uh, difficult and no doubt very burdensome experience (laughs) he's aware and no doubt the, the, the Israelites may want to say, well, why didn't you come and deliver us earlier? 
And I suppose it's easy for us to give the answer to that question. But God knows the best time. But anyway, this is the God that David is confident about. He thinks of the Lord. And in the, in the Bible, the Exodus is always the, the test of God's commitment. What can God do for us throughout the Old Testament? Well, the, the answer is always the Exodus. God did this in the past, He can do it again. And that's true on a national level, but here David brings it down to his personal level the Lord. What else does He say in His proposition here? Well, He says, He's my shepherd. Shepherd. What idea comes to mind when we hear the word shepherd? Well, obviously, one idea that comes to our minds is a man looks after sheep. And there's no doubt that um, that is part of the meaning. Because um, David, there, as you can see from verses 2 to 3 and verse 4, probably. He is using the illustration of being a sheep. But in verse 5, he seems to slightly adjust the imagery and find ourselves in somebody's dining room. But whose dining room? And shepherd is a common title in the Old Testament for kings for rulers for those with who are in charge of, a, of an, an organized uh, kingdom I mean even Cyrus God talking about Cyrus the Persian ruler says he will be my shepherd to bring the Jews home from Babylon. So perhaps as David is speaking here and as he makes a statement about the God he trusts in, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. He's my carer, my provider. But that almost seems to make uh, God into a kind of servant doesn't it for us to remember that the carer and the provider is also the sovereign king that brings respect as well as um, assurance into a circumstance doesn't it the Lord may be my guide but I can't push him around. He's the one who's in charge. He's the one that leads. And since he is my shepherd, not only does he take care of me, but I am duty bound to obey him. Wherever I find him, I have to obey him. So I think that's what David is saying, isn't he? The Lord cares for me, but the Lord is also my sovereign 
before whom I bow. But he says more, doesn't he? In this um, proposition, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, David is not saying that he is, that God is his shepherd and nobody else's. But he is saying, he is my shepherd as if there was nobody else. Because he gives me his full attention. To everybody else for whom he's a shepherd, he also gives them his full attention. But to have God as my shepherd, well, it means that he cares, says David, he cares for me as if I was the only one he had to care for. And all his attention, God's attention, is focused on me, says David. No matter how difficult or dark or problematic or how bright the circumstances are, both the brightness and the darkness, he's my shepherd. And it's good to know that, isn't it? Who do we want to be our shepherd? Well, surely the answer to that question is the best shepherd. And here is David, and he's affirming that this great God, the eternal God, the covenant God, the listening God, the God who guides, the God who rules, he focuses on me, says David. And that's very good to know, isn't it? Now, of course, the word my is a very small word, but it can also be a very strong word. It can also be a very weak word. We might say it with a wee bit of trembling. Does he really care about me? Or we might say it with real assurance. As, as, as the Apostle Paul all, often used the word my. It's quite interesting to, to notice how the word my is used. As Paul says for example, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And that's a very strong affirmation of faith, isn't it? Because he doesn't say, My God shall supply all your needs out of his riches and glory. Although sometimes people quote it like that. But God doesn't give out of his riches. He gives according to his riches. A rich man may give me a pound. And he's giving me out of his riches. But he's not giving me according to his riches. And God always gives according to his riches. Which means he never gives sparingly. It's overflowing grace. But as I say, sometimes the word my 
is a very strong word. But at other times, well, we might struggle to say it. But whether we feel it strongly or not so strong, <laughs> the word is always true if we trust in him. He is, for every one of his people, my shepherd. But there's something else in this um, proposition, and it's a verb. The Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't change. There's actually, if I remember correctly, there's actually no verb in the sentence. So it's free to to us to even think about it in past, present and future but it all comes down to the same thing it means he's always there as the shepherd that's his function and role and we, we sang about that in the psalms that we've mentioned and these psalms describe different experiences but uh, the constant thing is the Lord is a shepherd he never changes good for David to know that but since we know more than David it's good for us to try and work out how much better we know things so I want us secondly to think just briefly about progression and revelation because we now know that God he has always been three persons Father, Son and Holy Spirit and a good question to ask whenever um, a statement is made about God and general terms to ask ourselves ask the, of the verse is this speaking about the three persons or is it speaking about two of them or is it speaking about one of them and when we come to think about the father and the son and the spirit well, each of them has shepherdly features. I mean, it's not that only one of them has shepherdly features. Each of them has shepherdly features. The Heavenly Father cares for his children. I mean, the Holy Spirit guides his people. But which of them is called the shepherd and well we know the answer to that one don't we Jesus is called the shepherd Jesus himself said he was the shepherd he says it in John chapter 10 he says it twice I am the good shepherd but he's also referred to elsewhere in the New Testament as a shepherd for example, in Hebrews chapter 10, he's described as the great shepherd. 
who, who came to pay the penalty for sin. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he's called the chief shepherd. There's other shepherds, as elders and so on, but Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's a great shepherd, a good shepherd, a chief shepherd, and in Revelation chapter 7, he's the eternal shepherd. For the Lamb that is in the midst of the throne shall shepherd them and lead them to the fountains of the waters of life. So Jesus is the shepherd. So when we sing Psalm 23, and of course we probably knew this already, but Psalm 23 is about Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. And in a certain sense even the fact that in Jesus' own name the word Yahweh appear, appears. Joshua and so on. So how is Jesus the shepherd? Just very briefly I want to think about that. Just want to mention four things about him being the shepherd. And um, I suppose it is correct to say that normally everything that Jesus said rejoiced his heart. It's obviously at times there were things that didn't make him happy. But normally the things that he would speak about they would come from his heart as well as from his mind. They would express his affections. They would express his source of joy. Well, one of the things that gave Jesus a great delight was thinking about his people as sheep. There's a whole chapter in John's Gospel devoted to that in John chapter 10 and one surprising feature of that chapter is that most of the words that he speaks is actually said to people who are against him. But he spoke about his people when he was speaking to those who opposed him he referred to his own people as his sheep. So he he was fair to say that when he said that he was describing something that was very dear to him very personal and very as far as he was concerned full of great consolation and comfort this is what he says in verse 29 and it's verses I'm sure we're familiar with talking about the sheep my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand I and the father are one so the sheep were given by the father to Jesus when were they given? Well, the answer to that question is 
they were given to him as Jesus himself says in John chapter 17 yours they were and you gave them to me we call them theologically we refer to the time of the giving as the eternal covenant but when was the eternal covenant held it's eternal it's always been the divine plan it has been the, a feature if we want to put it that way of the relationship between the father and the son that these sheep were the gift of the father to the son they were his eternal gift he gave them to his son but there's never been a moment when he hadn't given them and, and as, as we kind of try and probe that we just get lost I mean God has never existed without this we can't possibly understand that that in the, in the heart of God from everlasting there has been this divine intention and Jesus came into the world because it had happened because strangely or maybe that's the wrong word surprisingly the ones that were given to Jesus were sinners if we are sheep if we are part of the sheep of Christ we weren't given to Jesus as it were dressed in our best clothes in this divine agreement Jesus the sinless one was given a flock the number of which no one can count every single one of them was a sinner and say it with all reverence Jesus didn't respond and say could something better not be given but he took it as the expression of his father's love and the expression of his father's wisdom and the expression of his father's desire to give to his beloved sinless son the most appropriate gift that could be provided they were given to him and if you and I are Christians say to ourselves tonight as you go to sleep when did God first start to think about me
And the answer to that question is He's always thought about me And he showed the intensity of his thinking about me By giving me to his son So when we say the Lord is my shepherd The Lord who is the shepherd was the recipient Of this astonishing gift A gift of sinners And He the son Jesus the recipient Well He's got to do something for them We know what he did He had to purchase them at the cross I mean Christians Were a Calvary We were there In the sense that Jesus was purchasing us Paying the penalty for our sins That was the price he had to pay I don't know anything about sheep markets But I'm quite sure that There are some sheep That cost more than others But the price For all the sheep Of Christ's sheep Was all the same His blood He had to purchase us Out of The state of condemnation that we were in And our shepherd Well if he cares for us enough To go to the cross Why would he ever put us into a situation Where he would leave us to ourselves Jesus paid the penalty He purchased us as a good shepherd he said himself, the good, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he's not there talking about as if he's giving his life so that it will end. He's given his life so that he'll pay the price for their release. But even that's not enough. Because he has to search for them Each each person that can sing Psalm 23 truthfully Jesus has to search for them And there's not many parables that Jesus told twice I mean there are some parables that reappear in each of the Gospels But they're only told once as it were But there's not many that are told twice But one of the parables that is told twice Is the parable of the lost sheep And Jesus told it in very different situations But there he describes himself looking For the lost sheep And you know though 99 of of them Of the 100 were in the safe In the fold He still went to get the other one And he The implication in the parable 
is that the search is not easy and if you and I are Christians how long did it take Jesus to find you? where did he have to go to get you? but he went and the parable he says he searched for it until he found it and he never gives up on any of them and it may be the case that people might have looked at us before our conversion and said well that person will never be converted can't see that with anyone because it's Jesus' responsibility to find them and that's what he's doing today and he's done it today no doubt although we don't know anything about it but no doubt all over the world today lost sheep were found I just want to close with this the one who was given them and the one who purchased them and the one who searched for them is satisfied with them because in the parable he says that the, the sheep are put on his shoulders and he's rejoicing as it happens I mean imagine going and don't know about you but but imagine going and finding a sheep that's been through the, the bogs and the mire and so on and just picking it up and putting it on your shoulders well that's where we were when Jesus found us covered in sin the effects of it and all that and of course he washed us and he cleansed us we know that but he puts us on his shoulders and as he puts us on his shoulders he is sinless but we are not and he carries us all the way through life and all the way through life he is sinless and we are not and eventually they get back to wherever he, the shepherd left from and the saviour says rejoice with me for I found the sheep that was lost he's satisfied forever it's almost as if we're saying before time he had this gift in time he finds the gift and after time he's satisfied with the gift and in the meantime we can say the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want shall we pray Lord we give you thanks that your word gives us these pictures of 
the relationship between God and his people. We thank you, Lord, that even as David made his discoveries and we make our discoveries, and in the world to come there will be many more discoveries of the shepherding care of the Savior. Help us to say to ourselves, The Lord is my shepherd. So remember us, we pray, for your own name's sake. Amen. We'll close by singing from Psalm 107 and the Scottish Psalter, verses 1 to 7. Praise God, for he is good, for still his mercies lasting be. Let God's redeemed say so, whom he from the enemy's hand did free. Verses 1 to 7. Jesus Christ, the love of God the 